But I wanted to start by asking if anyone knows, this is not a rhetorical question, but I actually want you to answer. Um, who was the gospel first preached to after Jesus was born? Who knows? Who were the, who were the first to hear the gospel after Jesus was born? The shepherds, exactly. And do you, here's a bonus question, do you know who preached the good news to the shepherds? Angels. Very good. Excellent. Allen family with a point. Um, yeah, remember, there they were in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news, that's gospel, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the shepherds were the first to hear the gospel preached after Jesus was born. Here's another question for you. Who was the gospel first preached to after creation was born? Hmm. Incorrect. What's that? The serpent, Satan. And who preached the gospel to the serpent? God did. That's right. And that's what we're about to read in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. God was the first to preach the good news, um, and he preached it to his enemy. Um, as I was studying this passage, one of the commentators said, um, and perhaps you've heard this before, but uh, from the earliest times, Genesis 3.15 has been called the proto-evangelium, which means first gospel. So down through the ages of the church, it's been called the first gospel because it is the first note of God's redemptive intention following the fall in the Garden of Eden. Another commentator said it this way, Genesis 3.15 has commonly been called the first gospel because it was the original proclamation of the promise of God's plan for the whole world. It gave our first parents a glimpse of the person and mission of the one who is going to be the central figure in the unfolding drama of the redemption of the world. The seed, offspring, mentioned in this verse became the root from which the tree of the Old Testament promise of a Messiah grew. So, if you'll stand with me, if you're able, um, we will hear the reading of the first gospel in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, this is right after uh, Adam and Eve have rebelled against God by eating the forbidden fruit, and God has come looking for them, finding them, hiding from him and from one another. And this is what he says. This is the word of the Lord, the God who loves you. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Notice that God says to the serpent, between your offspring, and that's singular, and her offspring, singular. And then he says, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He's talking about a particular offspring of Eve who would come. And the rest of the Bible tells the story of how God would fulfill this promise. Let me pray for us, and I want to look at this briefly and think, think together about what good news this is for us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, for these folks who have come uh, to adore Jesus together. Uh, would you show us the Lord Jesus? Would you encourage us with the good news um, of who he is and what he's done and what he's doing for your people? In your name we pray, amen. So have you noticed how many of our Christmas songs and carols talk about the defeat of sin and suffering in Satan? Have you noticed that? We just sang uh, a song. He fights for breath, he fights for me, loosing sinners from the chains of hell, and with a shout our souls are free, death defeated. By Emmanuel. Some of my other favorite Christmas carols, uh, one of them, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful carol. It talks about war. Listen, it says, Rank on rank, the host of heaven. So here's uh, ranks of angel armies, spreads its vanguard on the way. The vanguard is the, the front line of an advancing army. As the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day, that the powers of hell may vanish and the darkness clears away. It's all about a war. Or this one, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We've sung it several times already. Uh, sing this verse with me. O come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny from depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave rejoice rejoice Emmanuel shall come to thee O Israel. He's going to free us from Satan's tyranny and give us victory over the grave. And then one more, another favorite of mine, uh, particularly the, uh, this will give away my taste, uh, particularly the Randy Travis version of this song. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To what? To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy 
comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings means news. Then it goes on. Fear not, then said the angel. Let nothing you affright. This day is born a savior of a pure virgin bright to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings, news. The birth of Jesus is bad news for sin and Satan and suffering. But for those who trust Jesus, the news of his birth is good news, tidings that brings us comfort and joy. And the first gospel, the one preached to the serpent in Genesis 3, is bad news for sin, suffering, and Satan. But to sinners and sufferers and those who have been held captive to Satan, it's good news that brings great joy. So, Let's think about that for a minute. First of all, Christmas is bad news for Satan. I love this. This is, a, this is just so good. Ah, let's just get in his face, shall we? Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and you notice, maybe you've noticed in, in, in this before, he curses Satan. He does not curse Adam and Eve. Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Another one bites the dust. It's not an exclamation of why snakes crawl around on their belly. That's not what, this is not the origin of uh, legless serpents. It's actually, God was assigning meaning to the fact the physical fact that was already in existence, that snakes crawled around on their belly, very similar to how he assigned meaning to the rainbow. Rainbows already existed, but God gave the rainbow a special meaning for his people. And now he makes a serpent crawling around on its belly a sign for the serpent and for his people. Um, it's eating, because eating the dust and licking the dust was an ancient Near Eastern uh, way of describing abject humiliation and defeat. In fact, the Old Testament uh, uses that imagery over and over and over again. The Psalms and the prophets talk about God's enemies licking the dust like a serpent. Um, God is saying to Satan, I have bad news for you. You sought to humiliate and defeat me, but you will suffer humiliation and defeat for your rebellion against your creation, your creator and your king. Verse 15, we'll spend a little more time here. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity, that's, that's war, hatred, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. D.A. Carson uh, described this. He says, by going to the cross on which a spike will be driven through the heel of Jesus, um, Jesus will ultimately destroy this serpent, this devil who holds people to sin and shame and guilt. He will go and crush the serpent's head by taking their guilt and shame on himself. 
And so God is saying to Satan, I have bad news for you. You sought to steal glory from me and get glory for yourself by leading humanity into sin and all creation into suffering. I will show you. (laughs) I will get glory by redeeming sin and suffering. I will show the generations that will come a glorious facet of the jewel of my grace that no one has yet seen. God is saying to Satan, I have bad news for you. You sought to destroy my purpose and plan to be with my people by turning my first man and woman away from me. But you didn't know that I had already planned that I would accomplish my purpose to be with my people by coming to them in their own flesh, born of a woman, as the God-man whose very name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Gotcha, serpent. God is saying to, to Satan, I have bad news for you. You tricked Eve, but have I got a trick for you. One day, the offspring of the woman you tricked will destroy the kingdom you will spend generations building for yourself. Through the very woman Satan deceived, humanity will be delivered. So Christmas is bad news to Satan. Merry Christmas, Satan. Christmas is good news to sinners like you and me. Because Jesus, the second Adam, has come in human flesh to give you hope when you sin and help when you're tempted to sin. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 2, talking about why Jesus came in the flesh. What was, what was the purpose of the incarnation? The author of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, that's us. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had had to take on human flesh like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Christmas is good news to sinners because Jesus The second Adam has come into the flesh to give us hope when we sin. The hope is that he is the propitiation for our sin. He is the uh, sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God for our sin because he absorbs the wrath of God for our sin for us and that gives us hope. But then he goes on. Because he came in the flesh, it says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Christmas is good news to sinners because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to sin and didn't. And you might say, well, well, then he doesn't really know what it's like, does he? Ah, but remember, as C.S. Lewis said, it's not the one who fights against the wind and gives into it that really knows the strength of the wind. It's the one who stands up against it and doesn't give in, who really knows its power. And so, Jesus, because he came in the flesh at Christmas, is able to help you when you're tempted to sin. That's good news 
And Christmas is good news to sufferers. The second, the second Adam will come, get this, listen to this. He will come, has come, to make suffering make all things new, beginning with you. This is the good news for sufferers at Christmas. Jesus has come to make suffering make all things new, beginning with you. He's going to use suffering to accomplish his purpose of making you new. What, what do I mean by that? First of all, his suffering on the cross and resurrection from death makes you a new creation. So the suffering that entered into the world because Adam and Eve re- rebelled against God, God has used to rescue the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Paul said, we were buried with him into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Because we are united to Jesus, who has suffered and died, but is raised and walks in newness of life. We're new creations. So the beginning of Jesus making all things new is with us as he makes us new. So his suffering and his death and his resurrection makes us new creations, but also Jesus makes your suffering make you like him. So this is good news to sufferers because suffering is not good. Suffering uh, is painful, and yet God is going to use suffering to make us more like Jesus. Romans 8 says that all things work together for the good of making us like Jesus, of conforming us to the likeness of God's Son. God is for us, not against us, so much so that all the things that are against us, God will use to conform us to the image of his son. Good news, friends. Merry Christmas. God will use your suffering to make you like his son. And that's why Paul can say, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, made new day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then a passage that has meant a lot to me lately, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So it's a kind, some kind of suffering that Paul was enduring. A thorn was given me of, in the flesh. A messenger of Satan, he says, to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Here's good news, friends. The thorn in the flesh that the Lord is allowing in your life, though it may be a messenger of Satan to get you to doubt the heart of God for you, to not trust him, to not hold on to him, Sandwiched in there is God using that thorn to make you more like Jesus because it says at the beginning and the end of that verse, it was to keep me from becoming 
conceited. God is going to use your suffering to keep you from becoming like Satan, which is not becoming like his son. But he goes on. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. I don't know about Paul, but I've pleaded with the Lord about my thorns way more than three times, but maybe I'm not getting the message. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, in your weakness, when that thorn in the flesh is pressing you, the power and glory of Christ rests on the one who suffers and suffers while trusting Jesus. So God is turning even our suffering into glory and strength. He's making us like Jesus. Thorns in the flesh make the power and glory of the one who wore thorns on his head rest on you. God flipped suffering. Merry Christmas, suffering. You have no power. Friends, this is good news. Christmas means that your sin and your suffering and your enemy, Satan, have an expiration date. And there's one last thing I want to share before I'm done. One last way that God sticks it to Satan in Genesis 3.15. And this makes me so happy. <laughs> Remember that the serpent deceived Eve and Adam into thinking that God's heart toward them was not good? Uh, that a relationship with, of love with God was not worth keeping, uh, that God's loving heart was not enough, they had to have more. Remember, that's what he went after, was God's love for them. And here's what God does immediately following that, that doubt and that act of treason against his loving heart for them. Immediately after that, his response is, in the curse of that he announces on, the, on Satan, on the serpent. He announces what will become the greatest display and proof of his love for him, that, uh, for them that creation and history will ever see. The incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is the greatest proof of that heart they doubted and turned against. Christmas is God's way of saying to Satan, my name is Emmanuel, God with us. And I've shown beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love the people I've created. So much so that the beat of my heart is to be with them and I'm coming for them. This morning I was reading in the Psalms and I came across these two verses in Psalm 119. I'll close with this. Psalm 119, 41 and 42. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. What's fascinating, first of all, a side note, read Psalm 119, which is all about this love for the word of God. Read it in light of the fact that Adam and Eve 
totally disobeyed and disregarded the word of God, and that's what made everything a mess. I started, I, I was reading through Psalm 119 this morning, and it just made the whole thing come alive. No wonder God's people are so uh, enamored and, and addicted to this word because they know from history that ignoring it is what got us into this mess. But anyway, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for this devil, for sin, for suffering, who taunt me and tell me that I can't trust your word. Friends, when your sin and your suffering and Satan taunt you and try to convince you that God's heart for you is not good, he's not for you, he doesn't love you, then as someone has said, look down in the manger and look up on the cross and know that's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. And let the one, the, the sin and suffering and Satan who taunts you, let them know, no, I trust that one because he has promised that you're done. So I conclude this message by saying, Merry Christmas, sin. Merry Christmas, suffering. Merry Christmas, Satan. Father, Thank you for loving us. This table, this table says Merry Christmas to sin and suffering and Satan. It is a declaration that you have said the war is over and you have come. Sin and suffering and Satan have an expiration date. They are done because of what this table represents. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Help us to rejoice this morning that as far as the curse is found, the blessings of Jesus will go because he came. In Christ's name I pray, amen.